Bible buds. Bible buds. We did it, Daniel. We did a whole year of of this podcast. We got like 40 plus episodes in for starting in February. I saw, I was looking at the, the deal today and it looks like February 9th or something was our first episode. So we're creeping up on the, the one year anniversary of that. And we got like 41, 42 episodes in and probably did like, I don't know. We talked to what, 20 different people at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was a strong... You know, we we gave it our all. We really did. We talked to some interesting people. Um, we had some great chats. It was hard to uh, it was hard to pick and choose which chats to pull from. And then even within those chats, it was hard to pick and choose what segments were I was going to you know call out. So, um, yeah, yeah, I had fun listening back for sure. Uh, I had moments of fun and moments of like, oh God, just like, Andrew, are you really, you're going to, you're going to tell that one again? You're going to do it again? Well, yeah. I Another mean, time? Wow. I think also, you know, there's, there's, I, I don't know. There's a good balance of, uh, of like funny stuff. Maybe not even in the, in this compilation of things. I think there's definitely some, some good, uh laugh out loud moments but there's uh just across the board you know sometimes this this podcast can be incredibly like stony and goofy and then there's some like really like heartfelt moments yeah where we're talking about some real shit and for it's sure been, yeah it's been very cool listening back and uh i'm definitely like i'm pretty proud of what we we did this year with this thing like for it to like just kind of come out of this stoned idea of, hey, let's get baked and read the Bible and and kind of you know talk through these different interpretations that you and I must like um, might have into like having some real conversations with people about their religious experience and their spirituality and like the amount of shit that I learned this year from like just connecting to like old friends and then some of your friends like you know these strangers has been really fucking cool man totally and we even had some guests on that neither of us knew at all yeah so yeah that is that has also been cool like to have that you know that wide variety of people that you know sometimes they're strangers to both of us sometimes they're friends of both of us mm-hmm. and uh we had some family, like we had your yeah. dad, we had my mom, my grandma. That's right. My brother, your, your cousin. cousin. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so very, very cool. And uh, yeah, some of them are a little more, you know, like baked. That's for sure. Some extra buttered episodes for sure with some of our guests mm-hmm. that also like to, you know, smoke some weed. And then some of them are a little more focused where we're Yeah, I mean the all, one with uh, Rob was the one with Rob was just like a <laughs> that was just a big old like stoner hang. Yeah. Yeah, and then also, I mean, you you get the episodes if if they're going to hit a 3-hour mark, like if people are boozing, like they're probably going to be maybe a little drunk by the end. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I was uh, I was drinking the entire time when we were doing that episode with Rob, and by the end, <laughs> I was definitely like shouting and slurring and barely holding it together. But it was a great time, and I think more than anything, I just think one first off, happy twenty twenty one to you, sir. Hey, um, likewise, man. You know, I wish that it really meant that like the world was truly better. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But um, I do think that there are brighter days on the horizon. And it feels good uh, to have 2020 in the books. I think 2020 being such a shit year for everybody, um, it was so great to have this podcast as sort of a staple in my week and sort of a staple of my own, um, yeah, my own spiritual practice in a way, you know, it really was. So I think that's very, that was very cool. Um, and I'm really glad that we kept up with it. And I think that... Yeah, we had some really interesting conversations, and I learned a lot from a lot of different people. Um, and yeah, I'm just like, more than anything, I mean, I hope that people listening get get something out of it. But I know that I got way more out of it than I put into it, and way more out of it than I was expecting to. Yeah, same, dude. And just, uh, I think going into extending out to guests that maybe you and I thought we would talk to more people that had disconnected themselves from their, their faith and their practice. And we actually ended up talking to maybe a balanced amount of people that still are in their, you know, their religions that they grew up with or, you know, with their spiritual practice and whatnot. So that was, that was also really interesting and just very cool, man. Like I know one of the episodes, I think it's the one with Ryan Walton or no, it's Ryan Sharp. And we dive into perspective pretty heavy and how important that is. And, uh, yeah, this is just another one of those things that has just helped that so much for me to talk to these people. That was with Ryan Walton where he's talking about, and he's someone who he said, you know, he went through a, a long period of deconstruction and stopped being a worship leader and a pastor and all these things, but would still consider himself sort of a Christian today. But he was like, the difference is, is that, you know, I just think he, he, not to put words in his mouth, but when listening back to the episode, he was sort of like, you know, now I just, it's so much bigger. <clears throat> it allows for so much more than I used to think that it did. And, you know, he was like, really, there's, it's so important to understand other people's stories that are different from you. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think that we did a lot of that with that, with this podcast, especially talking to like Mormon guests and stuff. It's like, I didn't really, I didn't really know much about that world. So that was super interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It was, uh, it was a trip. It's always good to, it's always good to hear other people's stories and, and try to see yourself in it. Yeah, I think it makes it easier to understand the interconnectedness of things when you start having these conversations with people that have different ideas than yourself. And it's just fun to get fucking, sometimes it's fun to get get baked, get a little blasted and have, you know, conversations about the universe and sure. and things of that nature too, you know? It's it's uh right, we've been we've now been having on average once a week a, a relatively deep chat somewhere ranging from relatively deep to like actually pretty 
pretty deep. Sometimes I walk away from these chats being like, fuck, man, that was that just blew my mind. Yeah, definitely. I've picked up some some nuggets of information along the way that have been helpful. And then also there's just been some really great like there's just some hilarious moments like when Ryan Sharp is speaking about karate kid stuff hilarious dude like i was i was listening to that just laughing out loud when i was putting that piece together oh yeah also when he starts talking about the dude who wrote the book who said like the ultimate source of truth would just to be set up to a dmt drip yeah. <laughs> you and i just lost it when we heard that yeah, it's yeah. fucking hilarious um yeah. yeah no lots of great chats grateful for uh grateful for this podcast this year um you know just for myself for to have it in my in my own life so yeah man and yeah thank you to, to you for exploring this thing with me and and uh just being like being why like a, having a why not attitude to this stupid idea I had you were just like yeah we we should do that <laughs> yeah and then we did it and i think uh if there's if there's one thing that I definitely took away from doing this podcast, um, and this isn't even you know doing this type of stuff isn't even necessarily that far out of my realm of comfortability because I'm a musician and like I know how to work with audio stuff and whatever, but still, there was there was a bit of a learning curve and I think like with anything it's like if you want to do something, just do it, just start doing it and just see what happens like. And that's pretty much what we did here. And like, I didn't know how to really like edit down, you know, interviews of just like vocals talking and cut in music and stuff. Like I thought I did, but I didn't really. So I had a lot to learn. And um, yeah, I'm just super like stoked that I had you as someone who you're just the kind of person who's just like, yeah, we're just going to do it every week. And we just and then we just did that. I think if it was just me doing the podcast, you know. There would have been a solid two months in there probably where I just was like, feel like figuring out a guest or like what part of the Bible to read or whatever. Like, I'm just going to not because I just get kind of lazy. So it's nice to have a a partner in crime who's always just like, what are we doing this week? Because we're doing it. Yeah, I think we were we were good motivators for each other in that sense. And, And just like almost every week figuring out how to make it work. So. I hope that for anybody that might be checking this thing out for the first time, that this is just a uh, cool representation of what we've kind of done over the last year with our chats with guests. I mean, we've done a lot of solo chats as well, and those have been super fun and um, has definitely given me a different lens of some of the the stories within the Bible that I didn't really know, but and kind of looking at it from this non- dualistic attitude um was definitely something i appreciated but uh yeah no i I think you're right i think you're right i think it's a nice cross-section of our interviews you know talking about talking about religion talking about spirituality talking about psychedelics talking about you know whatever else could possibly intersect with any of that um talking about yeah talking about uh more topical issues sometimes race things like that come up you know over the summer that was obviously like uh on the forefront of every a lot of people's minds our minds for sure so um 
yeah, I feel like listening back, trying to pull out the clips, I've, I feel like we got a good, a nice cross section of sort of like all the different types of conversations that we have. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you're digging in for the first time, uh, yeah, tune in in the future. We'll have fresh, fresh episodes coming at you. Yeah, and if these little clips are intriguing to you, then I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to those whole interviews because some of them are are long. They're usually at least 90 minutes, but, um, you know, these were some of our favorites and they're all really great, so. Yeah, and even outside of the ones that we didn't pick, there's some some killer episodes Absolutely. in those as well. So we couldn't yeah. feature them all. So. Yeah, if if you dig what you hear, though, um, you know, I'll be shouting out the the episodes so you know what uh, what you're hearing from. And I thought it'd be cool to kick it off with the the Jacob Beck episode. It was episode 18, and it's it's cool to maybe kick it off with this one because really, what I think it's even said by you in the introduction of this episode. But Jacob is somebody that you and I met in Provo, Utah. We're on tour with your band, Brother Not Brother, um, a couple years ago, a couple springs ago, and uh, we ended up staying with this dude, Jacob, who set up the show for us, incredibly nice dude, and we had dinner with him after the show, and he kind of unloaded a little bit of this this crisis of faith that he was having. It was very fresh for him. <laughs> yeah, and... And you kind of explained it maybe as like an impromptu, like first episode of Bible Buds in some ways of like the conversations that we would have later right. on with people. For sure. Um, and this was, yeah, this was like definitely one of those ones I walked away from feeling like blown away and this eye opening um, look into somebody else's life and somebody else's faith, um, him growing up in the, the Mormon religion and kind of uh, exploring new ideas outside of that in his uh, late teens and early 20s. Hell yeah. Well, let's get into it then. When you were younger, did you did you feel like you connected to the, the spirituality of Mormonism and, and connected to that part of it heavy? Or did, did you feel like it was more just a, a part of your family culture? Um... I think I really wanted to connect, and I think I convinced myself that I did. But at the same time, um, I don't know. It was really difficult for me. Like, I feel like I was always worried that I was going to leave the church. Like, uh, in fact, when I was home over last month, I was ho- I went home to my parents' house, uh, and I found like this this um, framed, basically like bullet points thing of goals that I had set as like a probably like 13 or 14 year old kid like these goals I had made up for myself and it was like the man I want to be by the time I'm 25 I'm 24 now so I've got a year but it was like all things about (laughs) it was all things about like goes to the temple twice a month an active member of the church um like like all these things kind of relating to like staying in the church and I think I and I remember setting other goals like that and I think it was because I did have this fear of like I don't think I'm gonna make it just for the long time you just believe that it's worth it you know like 
Um, cause I mean, even members of the church will tell like, no one's saying that it's easy, you know, like, sure. you know, you go to a church meeting and most of the, you know, discourses that are given are about how hard it is. It's a lot of self-discipline. Yeah. Which I don't think is, again, I just don't think is bad all the time. Like, no, like no. There... Discipline is, discipline is super constructive and I think is, uh, can create mm-hmm. a lot of positivity yeah. in your life when you. When you are a disciplined person, even though it's it's hard to be in all aspects, yeah, also it, it, it's a big there's a big payoff to yeah, it. I think. What do you what the fuck do you think these monks are doing up in in the mountains? You know, yeah. these Buddhist monks. <laughs> you think they're just like jacking off and drinking whiskey all day? No, it's an intense. It's a crazy amount of discipline. They wake up like at four a.m. every day and like have this like set regimen of things that they do. Um, yeah, so that they can try to have to make room for an encounter with, with something bigger. I think is sort of the idea. Yeah, and I think that I benefited a lot from that discipline, to be honest. Like especially from like serving a mission. Like um, that's where I, I am conflicted even now with the church because it, it's like so much of who I am and so many good things that I like about who I am or that I like about my life have come from it. But then, then I also kind of resent certain aspects of it too, you know? And it's just like, it's just hard to reconcile sometimes, you know? You know what, man? As someone that is almost 35, so like about 10 years older than you, I think that you're going to have that no matter what though. Like whether you were raised Mormon or not, you know, yeah. you're going to have those 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 things that you kind of resent i think is just like a part of of any life path yeah for sure for sure yeah and sussing out the things that that serve you well uh from your from your childhood or upbringing and the things that maybe not so much that you want like you said that you need to you know sort of deconstruct and maybe toss aside or or rearrange yeah and I, I'm starting to catch more and more of a vision for myself. When I first left the church, it was kind of it felt like a real free fall, you know. Like, um, but like, and I used to really worry about like, well, when I have kids, you know, down the road, the church was kind of like the blueprint for raising kids in some ways, you know. Right. Um, right. And I used to be like, how am I even going to do that? And now I have friends who have left the church, and I see how they do it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll probably do it a little bit like that and a little bit like this and you know and yeah it's it's starting to become more and more clear and less and less of like panic because i think that was what i really felt at first was like okay i'm letting go of this thing now what do i have to hold on to you know right okay cool so you come to provo um you know you're you're no longer serving your mission. You're sort of like trying to do take the right steps to continue on on this path. What what happens? Like, do you have a moment, a revelatory moment, um, or is it sort of like a slow progression? You know, it doesn't really sound like something you were necessarily looking for in terms of like an out from the church. You were sort of doing all the things um, that would be sort of considered like on the path. So what what happened? Um, I think in some ways I thought my mission would kind of, uh, like fix the doubts I had, you know, I, I felt in, I felt like if I could do a mission, 
by the time I got home, I would have had the experiences, you know, on my mission that that were. I felt like I would have these undeniable spiritual experiences. Um, and while I did have the, some undeniably spiritual experiences on my mission, they were all like teaching refugees French. You know, it wasn't telling people right. that Joseph Smith saw God the Father and Jesus Christ. It was yeah, like some other human c- connection that just is deeply profound. Yeah. And I don't, I, it's not like I came off my mission thinking, wow, my only really amazing spiritual experiences were not really, uh, I don't know, church specific, you know, I've, I've kind of been unpacking all that much, much later, but I think it, at the same time it planted the seed where I realized, where I started to realize like, you know, maybe there's more than this, you know, this, um, religion, you know, there, maybe there's spirituality outside of this. I started looking at things through different lens is how I feel, you know, it's, sure. I was like, I started looking at things from outside the church and realizing, right. you know, that there is a way to look at it outside the church. And there's a way that makes sense to look at it outside the church. And, and I just realized I just f- fundamentally disagree with some basic, some of the basic um, teachings of Christianity, you know. The thing is, while aspects of my life fit into that kind of the the story you hear of like somebody who grows up super Christian and is kind of rebelling against it and then, you know, eventually they break out of it and they're like free and happy. I mean, there are parts of that, but the reality is like a lot of my upbringing was really, really amazing and good and my mission, a lot of it was really, really yeah, awesome. You weren't necessarily leaving something that was like hurting you horribly. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe in some ways it was holding you back, but you were leaving something that was like probably pretty beautiful to you and meant a lot to totally. you. Totally. And the hard parts, the hard part isn't that me and my parents have like this terrible relationship now and I'm mad at them for raising me Mormon and they're mad at me for leaving the church. None of that is, that's, that's not at all the case. The case is the hard part is that I still really, my parents are my heroes and like, I love and respect them. And how do you live, how do I live, you know, according to my beliefs in a way that still honors them and makes them, you know, feel my appreciation for everything they've done for me, even though I've kind of turned away from what they view as the greatest gift they could have given me. Episode 26 with Wally Weiss. Growing up, did you did you connect heavy to the, the spirituality and, and the religion from a pretty young age? Yeah, no. Yeah, and no. Um, I, uh, I definitely always believed in God. And I think that um, it was, I don't know exactly why. I mean, was, I know why because I was, I was born and raised as a Muslim. My parents raised me as a Muslim. But uh, I know plenty of people who also were in that situation who didn't have any spiritual connection and um, who, you know, to this day are not very spiritual. They say like, oh, you know, I'm like culturally Muslim, but I'm not, I don't practice and stuff like that. Uh, and I think that goes for a lot of different religions or creeds or whatever. But um, I always had a strong belief 
and some things I, I it just couldn't make sense to me that we would just come from nothing. I felt like there has to be some greater power in this universe. And, uh, I was scared a lot as a kid. I was frightened constantly. I was plagued by night terrors and nightmares and, you know, child's play. Chucky just fucking ruined my childhood. Like I was <laughs> waking up every night. He was there. Like that dude was trying to kill me. You know what I mean? Like, and religion gave me a lot of comfort and peace. Like I could, I could pray and not be scared anymore. And, you know, whether or not you believe in it or nothing, I think something like that, that can like calm down a frightened child is a, is a, is a, is a nice thing. Well, you're, you're stepping into like some sort of presence. I think in that moment when you start to pray, especially if you're like doing it out loud, you're at least in that moment and not Mm -hmm. just laying in bed, terrified of, of Chucky dolls yeah. coming out of the closet. And yeah, shit. I think there's also just like why were they always in the closet? They were always in the closet. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. Or under the bed. It's a good place to hide. Um, I do think there's like a psycho, spiritual, somatic component to just prayer and prayer or meditation. Like those two terms get thrown out a lot in like the New Age spiritual world is sort of like almost synonymous with each other. But I do think that it's something that just like it pulls you into the present, which is something that Dan and I have talked a lot about being like, that is the encounter with God is the present moment. And like prayer is a practice that can pull you into that even when you're a young kid. So it makes sense that again, no matter where, what you believe that's stemming from, whether it's pure, just like biology and psychology, or there is a spiritual component to it. um, The outcome is still the same. So sort of just works. I actually remember, Wally, I just remembered having a conversation with you. It was probably like my junior year, maybe my sophomore year. I don't know. But I just remember having a conversation with you at one point. Um, and I, I don't know if you'll remember this, but yeah, we were sort of just having a, a philosophical discussion on what the possible point would be to being atheist. Mm-hmm. Like, what is, what is the value in just, yeah. And, and I, yeah, it's sort of just like almost a nihilistic approach to life and meaning and reality. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, I, th- I just remember. Like, Do you remember what we said? Cause I just remember I, I, you planting a seed in my head that I, that I've definitely carried with me, which is sort of like, I probably most use this when I'm talking about whether or not free will exists. So I'll use that example, um, which is basically like, you know, let's say that scientists came out today and they were like, we have irrefutable proof that there is no free will. Every action that we make is predetermined. I would still be like, okay, that, that can be physically true, but like, I'm going to go ahead and believe that I do have free will because it's going to make my life have meaning. So why, mm. why would I buy into this other thing that's going to strip all meaning from my life? And I feel like atheism is sort of the same way where it's like, yeah, to just run that hard line and just strip reality of any possible meaning beyond the scientific method feels pretty fruitless uh, in terms of like, yeah, it just sort of closes you off to any of the like magic of all of this. I guess it could could be, I mean, I couldn't say how an atheist feels. I I like to try to empathize with people as much as possible. So I think for an atheist, I would, I would have to imagine that they would feel that by not believing in a God, they're truly believing in themselves only, 
which would give their life to themselves more meaning. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That I, I can imagine them feeling that way. That by believing that this is the only life that you're gonna get, that it gives their life even more meaning. They might argue that by believing in an afterlife, you're actually lessening the meaning of your life. Sure. Whereas a religious person might say that because there is an afterlife, the meaning of this life changes from what you would think because you're going for a different goal for it afterwards. For sure. I think and even though even removing afterlife from the equation, um, allowing life to be sort of imbued and infused with like spiritual um spiritual truths and mysteries um gives it like so much meaning you know afterlife aside because i think for me and i think if you uh like speaking of like christianity and jesus's teachings I think that you could read a lot of what he said and not pull away an afterlife from that. Like, yeah, he talks about the kingdom of heaven and he talks about something, but I think he's talking more from like a, a mystical perspective in terms of like sort of this, um, like sort of esoteric, almost like occult understanding of, of life where it's like, you have to like die before you die. So that you can truly live while you're alive. And I think Mm. that was more what Jesus was about was like, you have to find the kingdom of heaven in the now. And the way that you do that is by dying to yourself. Um, Mm. And then you can like truly be present and be fully alive and experience heaven on earth, you know, before, before it passes away. And that's where I think like, yeah, atheists miss that sort of core piece in terms of like, just centering their own thing as like the, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there are still like tons of atheists out there that are very like, um, serving to their communities and care about people, obviously. Um, sure. So yeah. Of like, course. Yeah. I know some really solid dudes who are atheists. Yeah, of course. Of um, course. I just think that like spiritually it, it does seem sort of like a closed loop for me. Um, and, and mm. potentially like not nearly as fruitful. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think it's possible though, that a lot of these people are engaging in things that, that are spiritual and they just don't like label it as that or recognize it to be that something, thing? if and, you're a good person, something is feeding your soul, you know, like yeah. something spiritual is so. getting in there. Cause there's quite a bit of things that I didn't know as a younger person was like a spiritual thing to me. Like even something like exercise or like playing hockey, what playing hockey has become to me is yeah. like, yeah, that place is like, that's my church. And I go in there and most of the time, like 95% of the time, I'm like pretty present and not thinking about any, any bullshit outside of, of those like four walls. So Mm. I I wonder how many people that like identify that way, just maybe have these things that, that probably are like working in a spiritual way. They just don't like identify it as that way. Like as that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're considering spiritualism, like um, being mindful as spiritualism or being present, as you were saying before, then in that respect, then definitely there's that's that's a healthy thing to do, regardless of your religion or whatever. And um, that's what I was trying to explain to one of my buddies here out in Prague. He's a he's Turk, 
and uh, you know, obviously he's from a Muslim country. There's definitely a lot of other religions there, but you know, it's a majority Muslim country. And he's like uh, sort of someone who's when I first met him was proudly saying he's atheist. And I was explaining to him the benefits of prayer and um, as a Muslim from my perspective. And uh, I was explaining to him that when I was a kid, you know, I would rush through the prayers and be like, zooms, I'm trying to get it done as fast as possible, moving through the motions, as they say. And um, as I got older, I realized the benefit in prayer. And I'm not the best Muslim. I'm not a perfect Muslim by any means. And, uh, you know, I'm just a work in progress. And I'm trying to be better every day. But one of the good things about, as a Muslim, we pray five times a day. And uh, I was explaining to him that the act of prayer as a Muslim involves a lot of postures and they're kind of like stretching postures. You're doing a lot of these postures, even in yoga. And, um, the act of doing that five times a day has a physical benefit for your body. It's stretching. And the main goal, one of the main goals in a Muslim prayer is to not have any distractions is to focus on the recitation and the meaning behind your prayer. And, it's a very hard thing to do. In one of the hadiths, uh, the prophet was asking all of his companions to perform the prayer without any kind of distractions. They would receive a gift of some sort. And I don't want to quote this wrong, so uh, I hope I don't, you know, but almost no one could do it. I think no one did it because the person who got closest, I believe, was Omar. And uh, Omar, at the end, he admitted that at the end, I, I thought I got distracted and thought about how I'm probably going to be the one who's going to get the reward, the gift, you know, and that was me being distracted during the prayer. And the point I was trying to get to with that is with him is that as I, after years of yoga practice and meditation, you know, one of the big things you try to do is clear your mind of all thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. and that act in and of itself is a, is a strong exercise for your mind. Interesting though, that you mentioned that because a big revelation that I had just in the last year, probably this last November was that, yeah, this act of trying to clear your mind through meditation or prayer. Um, to me, I always sort of conceptualize that as like, I need to get, like, I need to step out of myself. I need to be out of myself, out of my body, whatever. But I quickly realized as I started to like access those states that it's actually about stepping into yourself So like Mm -hmm. in doing those, like, you know, your prayers as a Muslim, like, um, with all of those stretches, like, it seems like there's this important component of like, you need to get into your body. You don't step out of your body to clear your mind. You step into your body, into your being, into the present moment to clear your mind. That's how you do it. Cause Mm -hmm. if you step outside is when you have that thought of like, oh shit, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to win this. I think I'm going to be number one, whatever. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think that that's really interesting that there's this, like the, all of these body movements tied in with with the further, the further part. I mean, definitely that, like it's it's a very much a meditation thing. And, 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 and the the second, the third part I was mentioning to him, my friend about the benefits of it is that there's five of them a day. And what that does, you know, there's one for the sunrise. There's one for around noon. There's one for the afternoon. There's one for sunset and there's one for the evening. And, uh, what that does is it organizes and regiments your day and it requires you to have discipline. And the good, the thing about good habits and the thing about bad habits is they, they have a synergistic effect. 
and they're always building upon each other. So when you're doing a bad habit, it allows you to do more bad habits easily. Uh, when you do good habits, when you make good habits, uh, it allows you to build better good habits easily. You know, you'll notice that someone who's very punctual, very hardworking, they didn't just one day wake up and do that. It was years of habitual hard work right. and punctuality. And it's also reflected in the rest of their life. It's not like they're mm. all of these other things, but they just happen to be super punctual and hardworking at the same yeah. time. Yeah. These things build off each other. And a benefit of, you know, you praying for five times a day on time because it's about time as well as earnest sincerity and, and, and in presentness is that it teaches you from a young age uh, these good habits of discipline, of regimentation, of organization, and of clearing your mind and of, you know, cleaning, being fucking clean. Yeah. We have, we have to, we, we clean ourselves before prayer. So we're actually literally bathing five times Fuck, a day. Man. It's great for Corona <laughs> times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're washing our hands like a motherfucker, man. I'm yeah. I have, yeah, I have a lot of respect for that, that part of the faith, man. I, I dig that because it must like really kind of keep you grounded most of the time too and keep you in check with your shit. And like you're saying, you're like literally cleaning yourself and cleansing yourself of some things. And, uh, yeah, that's just, it's gotta yeah, be, I mean, gotta be helpful and discipline, man. We've been talking about discipline a lot on this podcast. I think it's mostly come up because we've had quite a few Mormon guests on the podcast now. And like, that's a pretty rigid religion to grow up in as far as, you know, the, the root, the daily, yeah, the practices, practices and, and, uh, yeah, some of the things that they abide by and we've just talked about how how good that discipline can be whether these people identify with that religion now or not like they definitely mm. seems like a majority of them are definitely pulling something from from that discipline for sure in that structure. What do you guys think about Mormons? Um I mean I I think that uh that they're some of the nicest people like I've encountered. Uh, yeah, they're some of the some nicest. Of, they get a lot of hate. They get a lot of hate. Yeah, but they're um, some of the nicest, most genuine, yeah. kindest individuals. Also, like, like some of the most talented people I know, like I've, we've talked about it a lot too on the podcast is like most of the people we've had on are musicians and not just like decent like musicians, musicians, like really fucking good musicians. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like it, I've learned so much from those episodes. Like I'm learning, like right now, like doing this with you, and especially having maybe four or five different people on and speaking to their experiences. And like, I don't know, man. We had my buddy Seth on, and I knew him when he went on his. I grew up with him, and I knew him when he went on his mission. And I thought he was fucking crazy. Like at 18, I'm just like, you're fucking crazy, man. You're going to, you're going to go do this thing. And like, I just had no understanding of it. And now like, I'm joking how I want to like sign up to be Mormon so I can go on a mission now. Like, I just like, yeah, think and when that we that chatted that with him, he was like one of the most like grounded, spiritually solid dudes I've met in a long time. So they get a lot of hate. Yeah, they do. They do. To a lot of people, their views sound really wacky. But I believe that Jesus is coming back. So how can I judge anyone? You know what I mean? Sure. I believe that Jesus is coming back after thousands of years still. So I can't judge no one. You know what I mean? And all I can judge people by, and it's what I tell people that you should judge people by, definitely not South Park. Definitely not the news. You got to judge people by the people you know. 
And if you don't know if you don't know someone, if you haven't met someone, you haven't interacted with someone or some of these people, you shouldn't build such a strong opinion on these people. You know what I mean? You can maybe think about something in passing, but what's the point of building such a strong, passionate opinion about something you don't even understand? And how can you understand something without ever having encountered someone? So when people ask me about Muslims and this, I'm like, man, how many, what's up with all these Muslim countries, man? They, they're doing the genital mutilations on the women and, and they're making them wear head wraps and uh, y'all be killing up motherfuckers all the time. And like, what's up with y'all? I'm like, man, how many Muslims you know? How For many sure. Muslims you met? And what kind of folks are they? And so when I ask people about Mormons, I defend Mormons all the time because people be like, oh, man, they're crazy, bro. They like having a wives and uh, they believe in like space planets and shit. It's like a science fiction book. And I'm like, man, how many Mormons, you know, episode 22 with Seth McDermott seem to be getting further and further from each other in, in terms of thought and how we understand the issues in the world and social things. And we, we tend to just classify them in the sense of these two opposites. Right. And when we talk about conservatism and liberalism, um, we're really just assigning labels to things that aren't us <laughs> a lot of the time, right? If I'm a conservative and I call someone a libtard or whatever, it's just because they disagree with me on some conservative talking point, right? You and if like I'm a labels. liberal person, right, exactly. So, and that's, but that's how we perceive a lot of the dialogue that goes on and it's not being helped by our current political system or by the, the nature media. of current 24, 24 hours news networks. Absolutely. Like that's not helping it at all. But, um, I think that when we, at, at its core, right, we're talking about the two halves of the same exact equation. We're talking about the, the on, on the liberal side of things, you're talking about a central, like your central focus or value is of, um, benefiting the human experience. You're talking about progress. You're talking about free thinking. You're talking about finding solutions to human ills. You're talking about compassion and empathy, right? And on the conservatism side of it, you're mostly thinking about where are we going to get the resources to accomplish these things and how is it going to change my life for the worse, right? Yeah. Um, right? So it's, it's a primarily a focus on, on what's, what's the logic behind it and let's be careful and make our decisions slowly and, and resist change because we don't know what it could be and we resist uncertainty. And those are two things that both need to be talked about with every problem. Right. That it's not like it's exclusive to one or to the other. Right. And so it but the problem is, is that we've got the one half of the equation just talking to itself, basically shouting at a wall about we don't have the resources to do all this stuff without considering even the human empathy aspect of it, which is like we have some real social problems that need to be addressed. Right. And on the liberal side of things, you've got this at all costs. I don't care what it is. It's not acceptable for even one person to die. Right. Um, which makes sense from a compassion standpoint. I don't want people to die. No, no one right? wants that. Um, well, it's fucking Daryl does out in New Hampshire. <laughs> we fucking hate you, Daryl. <laughs> Fuck you. He wants people to die. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Amazing. <man. laughs> we don't get any. We we don't have any real fans or people that email in. So Andrew is just yeah. creating characters of, of of folks out there. Oh, I was hoping Daryl was real, man. That sucks. I mean, Daryl could just, be real if you oh, want Darryl him to be. Daryl is very real. The Damn, idea yeah. of Daryl. The yes. idea of Daryl is real. He is yeah, real. Okay. <laughs> and he lives in New Hampshire in a cabin, and he fucking hates. He wants people to die. He's like, fuck this COVID <laughs> yeah. thing. Anyways, carry on. So I, the, the point being that, like, the left hand side of the equation, the compassion side, is all sitting there telling each other Trump is bad or Trump does bad things, right? Um, but yeah, they all agree already, right? All those people agree, right? And all these people agree, but none of them 
try to find this place and this this pool of shared meaning. None of them try For to sure. find the spot where and everybody like my point is my point being like this group might be mostly centered on reason and resources and the, and the and the conversation about like limiting progress and not doing progress for progress's sake and this camp might be mostly focused on social issues and social justice and compassion but it always bleeds over there's nuance in everything right and so if we limit the amount to which that we interact on a personal level with each other we limit the ability for us to have the whole equation laid out in front of us right for sure and to actually solve problems i i think uh that's the more more than ever focusing on um you know principles and a, and a principled approach to, so, to problem solving, right? Where you're not, you're not taking positions. You're just focused on like, okay, what's the, what's the principle that should govern this decision that we're making, right? Because principles don't care about left or right. They don't care about uh, moral ethics or any of that stuff. It's just like, hey, here's a, here's a fundamental truth about the universe we can all agree on, right? So let's use, let's use our understanding of that, our shared understanding of that to, to attack this problem together and, and, and be, be attached to the problem. So that's that's kind of my relationship with religion and, and I guess uh, spirituality is that it helps me to form these principles to live my life by and to help me solve problems and whatnot. So. How significant was like your mission experience as far as like informing or changing your lens of just being around people that were completely different than you? You know, you touched on like how important those being uncomfortable situations have been for you i would imagine that that's got to be like a top of the list when you're a foreigner oh, yeah. in another country and <laughs> you know that this is kind of like your fate for the next couple of years yeah man i don't think i talked to anybody for the first like five weeks man it was scary um so just uh um yeah i think any any time you take a kid as young as i was like doe-eyed you know what i mean just has no idea about anything and no idea how much he doesn't know um, and, and put them in a, put them in a situation like that. It's, it's, uh, for better or worse, it's going to be a, it's going to be a shocking experience. Right. Um, and, uh, I think that the first thing is learning to, you know, learning, learning to see, see people as people and recognize, recognize the human experiences. Uh, there are some things that are universal, no matter where you are, right. That people are experiencing, like everybody, no matter where they are, is trying to take care of their family, right. Everybody's trying to put food on the table right? Do the, doing the best they can. Everybody is trying to find a way to feel productive and, and purposeful, right? To, to, to find a, find a purpose in life, whether that's to create things or to build things or to, or what have you, right? Um, or to inspire other people. Um, and, and people are just doing the best they can with what they got. And some people don't have a whole ton, right? And they're just, you know, they're, they're moving along with it. Um, I mean, a couple, a couple of specific experiences, I guess, come to mind, but they're, you know, it, most, most of them have to do with me and my, my American 19 year old brain, just having uh, misconceptions and, and, and kind of misunderstandings about other people. And then just like learning to see them as human beings. But, Was Argentina um, like your first encounter with real poverty? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. So my, 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 and my parents, like both of them came from kind of broken families. My parents knew, knew poverty, right? They, they grew up that way. Sure. But American um, poverty is different than a hundred percent. Some of these other countries. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I've been, I've, I grew up in the church and I've been on, we talked about this with my dad, been on like missions to Mexico where it's just like, yeah, yeah you see some shit like what you're talking about you know, very graciously. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, well they don't have a whole lot. It's like, yeah, they pretty much have nothing. <laughs> through an american lens you know right but what they right. have is they have each other uh and they have laughter yeah. and love 
And I think that like can be very eye opening when you're like, oh shit, but they seem really happy though, even though right. they right. have nothing. Yeah, I. Uh, so there's, a, yeah, man. I I walked. I at one point um, in 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 one of the cities I was in, we me and my companion walked into a house that was like. It was four concrete walls and a flat tin roof and a dirt floor and a rag over the door for a door. And there was like, it was nine people sleeping on the floor of this place. Right. And that was just where they lived. There was like a kitchen table, right. And a fridge and then a bed for mom and dad. And then like pads down for the kids to sleep on and stuff like that. And here these people are offering us food, right. They're like, here, come, come eat with us. And that's like, man, that's uh the ultimate that'll change Jesus. You. that'll change that'll change you man that's, that's, that's the ultimate jesus move yeah because that's yeah. the equivalent i mean they have so little that that's the equivalent of some stranger coming into my life and me being like could you use five thousand yeah. dollars would that be helpful to you <laughs> you know like they're giving so much yeah. of what they actually have and they just are yeah. doing it like happily they want to no one's forcing them to and do that coming out of that there's nobody in the world that can convince me not to give money to a guy that asks me for money like guy comes to me to the gas station asks for some cash if i have cash he's getting the cash like i'm giving it to him i don't care because yeah. nobody can convince me that like i don't know that guy right but i've i've seen people with literally nothing give me all like it seemed like all they had left right for no other reason other than they want to make me feel welcome and loved and yeah. that's that's it man and you were like gonna buy an energy drink with that dollars that you get you know yeah. like you're obviously right. like in a pretty all right situation if you were right. gonna go like buy a bag of chips yeah. and an energy drink at the yeah. gas station um yeah man i have a disposable income that makes me better like that makes me in a better position than them to begin with so yeah it's uh i i, I uh, even the word better sounds bad you know what i mean like it's not it's just more fortunate probably is the better word right but how did you feel about like trying to share the message like with the people there? Like what was your yeah. experience with doing that? So, um, there's a, there's a pretty, and, and you guys have talked to other guys that are on missions. You probably understand by now there's a pretty structured approach that they give missionaries. Right. Um, which again is not all bad to give kids Dude. structure. <laughs> I mean, we talked, right? you, you listened to that episode we did with our, our friend Jacob, uh, yeah. and like, we talked a lot about it, like the respect we have for the discipline that is in yeah. like a religion as, you know, as rigid or even like on that yeah. mission of like, yeah, we wake up every day and we do some physical ac activity and then we eat breakfast right. at this time. And like, that's, that's good yeah. for a person. And you also know? clearing yeah. up the misconception that like when you're a Mormon on a mission, you don't just wake up at 7 a.m. and like knock on your first, <laughs> first door at 7.30 <laughs> and then like call it a day at 6 p.m. and go home. Like that's not what you're doing all day, every day. Like you're doing no. so much more for the community. Uh, and the yeah. focus is more on like trying to help the community as, you know, proselytizing is sort of like a back, a back door, like almost an afterthought. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I went even further than that. I think that I don't. I'm kind of, I do best when I don't have boundaries, I feel like, right. Um, and some structure is necessary for sure. I've got to know the rules, right. Or, or like where I can play, I guess. Um, I, I like to think outside the box and not adhere so much to what I see as like bureaucratic kind of nonsense restrictions on things. 
Um, and so I think my goal as a missionary eventually towards the end, obviously evolved over time because I was considered a junior guy and I was just kind of like learning when I was first in the field, but I evolved to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to be a valuable member of this community. And when people want to know things, I'm going to tell them what I know, right. Or what I believe. And, uh, and, and when I see, when I feel like I see that someone could benefit from, from a conversation about like, Hey, let's, let's talk about the fact that I, I think that someone loves you, even if you think no one loves you. Right. Um, that, that those conversations t- t- tended to open themselves up. I, I wasn't a huge fan of going around and knocking doors and like putting my foot into people's lives and stuff like that. I, I adhered to it, but my heart really wasn't in it when I was doing that. I preferred to just find ways to, to get involved with the local membership, right. To develop relationships with those people and, um, and try to try to at least convince them that I wasn't like, they weren't, a, they're not a tool or a number to me. They're a human being, right. Uh, regardless of where I come from and regardless of the fact that I was wearing that stupid monkey suit. Right. Um, right. And I think so, that's sort of the whole point, right. Is that like, and I think learning about this from Jacob and sort of what was staggering to me and sort of what I maybe I'm sort of piecing this together right now as I'm kind of stoned. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, what puts into focus, like why Mormons are so kind, like you're, the community yeah. is just so kind uh, and loving genuinely and like mm-hmm. when you look at the way the mission is structured, it really is structured in a way of like, no, we're going to the community like to just help, to be a presence because we have privilege and we are fortunate. Yeah. So we're going to help yeah. where we can. And yeah. yeah, like, you know, part of that comes with like, obviously there's the knocking doors piece, but that piece seems like even that was like, it's pretty small. Uh, and even mm-hmm. for you and, and maybe you could talk about like, you know, if this is true broadly but it seems like you got that and like jacob definitely got that too of just sort of like well we're here to just like serve and love people mm-hmm. and then yeah if we end up talking about shit like great but ultimately like the most important thing is just to serve and love them yeah yeah and, and beyond that i i you know in my companions too not just the people that were there with me right I, yeah um they, they were definitely part of the equation because i was paired up with some guys that i would not choose to be friends with, let's say that. Right. Yeah. Um, and learning, learning how to, cause if you're going to live with someone for six weeks and be with them like all the time, you don't get by very well if you don't learn how to love that person. Right. Um, or at least find some common ground somewhere, man, you just have to try because you, you can seem like you're polar opposites at first. I guarantee you though, if you, if you try at it, you, you can find common ground with anybody. Um, and, and that was, that was an important lesson too, that there were just uh, it is, like you, you might, the, the, the first, the, the first judgments we make of people are so powerful, but they're often, often, right. Completely unfounded and based on shallow assumptions about why people do things. Episode 19 with Ryan Walton. So back to your story, you're, yeah. you're in your, I guess, mid to late twenties at this point, sort of like wrestling through deconstructing, you know, finding these things out, like, or just, uncovering these things like wow purity culture was kind of fucked up and i also uh mm-hmm. was a part of it you know like yeah. an, an active member of it and helped push uh-huh. it forward um unknowingly or knowingly or whatever so so you know what's next how, how do you how do you land where you are today you know i guess the biggest difference is that I don't feel like I need to. Like, I, I don't, I guess like 
landing the plane anywhere, like for me, you know, I think I went through a time where I feel like I needed to find something like, okay, what am I going to be now? Right. Like, what am I going to, yeah. Your ego being like, we have to have a new identity. What am I going to be like, you know what? I, I still identify as a Christian, like, because it's, it's like my, it's my mother tongue. Sure. Right. It's the language I was born with and it was the orientation I was given. And it's still a beautiful way that I help that helps me make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And if I'd have been born somewhere else, I would have given a, been a different language and a different kind of orientation. And I still like the kind of the perennial Christian faith is still something that I think is, is beautiful. It's just way more expansive than I ever imagined it to be. And I've seen it just kind of blow up. And, and during that time, you know, I'm so grateful for the people who have done so much work and forged ahead and, and written books and done incredible work that, you know, a lot of the stuff that was growing up was kind of always in the naughty section of the library. Like, no, you're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to read that stuff. That's, you know, crazy, you know, liberal, you know, out there stuff. That's not really Christianity. Um, and man, I'm just so grateful that work and the people and, and the relationships that I made that time, you know, I, I think about, you know, Ryan Sharp, you know, you had on this podcast, he was someone who um, was really important for me around that time. And he introduced me to some other people and I, it really began to expand life and expand faith mm-hmm. for me. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, so kind of, you know, so what's next, you know, we, we stopped going to church, you know, for a really, really long time. You know, we didn't, we didn't feel like that was where we wanted to be. And it was really beautiful. We kind of got our weekends back and our Sundays back and we were growing this family. And, um, but I, but I knew that for me, there was still this kind of like, I don't know, this kind of holy hum, like within me, this kind of longing to continue to explore, um, the spiritual life, but I think that be, I knew that needed something different for me. It needed to be different than it was before. And a few key elements are missing that I'll, that I'll bring up. Um, one was I realized that, oh, for a lot, you know, and like Christianity in America, as we know, it is not old, right? Like an evangelical kind of Christian church as we know it these days is not very old. But me being a part of it, at least my role in it and where I was at, what I was doing, was spending a lot of time worrying about like people's souls and people's afterlife with the detriment of what was happening in the world here and now. Um, and during this time, you know, I got, I was really fortunate to be able to go on some trips to different places around the world with some different people and just began to just get my mind blown, um, by different cultures and people around the world and what was happening in the world. Um, and that was just not a part of my spiritual experience. And so I really, through these past years, I would say some of the, the deep spiritual work of my life has been immersing myself in stories outside of my own stories that are not male stories that are not white stories that are not straight. Um, and doing everything I can to sit at the feet of teachers that are unlike myself and to read and grow to hack my social media algorithms and just immerse myself in teachings by queer black women. Um, yeah, I think it's so important to ultimately that work is just, uh, going to get you closer to being able to figure out what's it like to be everybody else. 
you know? And yeah. I think when you're a straight white dude in America, you know, it's very easy to never do that because you're like, well, we're the, like, we're home base. My experience is home base and everyone well, else is trying to like normalize to this. So why would I, why do I need yeah. to expand? And And the reality is, is the sad reality is, or has been at least like you didn't, you didn't have to, you could just lean into that straight whiteness and maleness and like you were going to be fine. And I think what's cool about what's happening right now is exactly what you're talking about. Is like, no, you need, regardless of who you are, like you need to understand other people's perspectives and their stories. Um, and Mm -hmm. it is an incredible teacher in your life. If you, um, get to step into a world that you knew absolutely fucking nothing about. Yeah. Perspective mm-hmm. is such like a big piece of the puzzle. You know, it's why everybody enjoys like biopics or, or autobiographies. Like mm-hmm. you can learn so much from somebody's journey and like what the world is like through their eyes. Yeah. And basically things like, Oh my gosh, God is not white. Diving into the spiritual stories and practices and lives of people, I began to think everything differently, you know, from, oh, like so much of my interpretation of like the Bible and the story of God was through my own lenses. And when you put someone else's glasses on and begin to look through it, you're like, oh my gosh, mind blown, just completely becomes expansive. And that work, that work of, of, expanding my understanding of other people and other people's experiences, especially marginalized communities was a major component of my spiritual upbringing that was missing huge episode 15 with Ryan Sharp. So let's go down that path even a little bit further. So Herman Hesse's book Siddhartha is a book that was introduced to me about 20 years ago, but I didn't really I I read it for a class, but it wasn't until about five or six years ago that I really delved into that book. And now I read it two to three times a year because it, it charts sort of the, the, the spiritual path of a man. And to even say spiritual, I let's, let's take that word out. It charts the path of a man and it does it in his case as being born Hindu and going out to look for meaning, and he first bonds with the um, these mystics in the forest, and then ends up actually meeting the Buddha. And there's this there's this incredible moment where Siddhartha is in this conversation with the Buddha, and he says, "I find no problem with your teachings. In fact, they are probably the best teachings." that have ever been taught. However, your teachings are about how you learned to find the truth. So if I was to follow your teachings, they wouldn't work for me because they would just teach me the way about how you learned to unlock the secrets of the universe or you learned to find God. And there is something about that that is so halting for me about how we do this in life. We do this in spirituality. We do this in economics. We do this in so many ways where we really focus on the, if I could just learn the how to, then I could get there. But because, and, and because 
we mistrust ourselves on a certain level think that we could actually find our own path so to me christ was a shining light he was a city on the hill but if i was to stop at well the end of man's evolution is to mimic jesus that would feel like a failure to me. Yeah, this one dude's path to enlightenment 2,000 years ago in a world totally different, you know. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. For sure. You got to go spend your 40 years out in the desert. You got to go figure out your own shit. Figure out what your own desert is. I don't know. That's right. And that's not to say that following a spiritual teacher is is not useful like again i'm super i'm i'm still remarkably grateful for jesus as my guru because you think about it so like the karate kid shows up and he just wants to do karate he just wants to be able to fucking snap that fly with the chopsticks and so he 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 mentors himself underneath this teacher to learn how to do this stuff well, what does the teacher do? He tells him to do all this dipshit stuff like paint the fences and Daniel's son's getting super frustrated. And then he's like, wax the floor. He's like, why the fuck are you like having me do all this stuff? And then Daniel finally has his moment. All these moves are in his muscle memory where when it comes time when he's got a limp leg that he fucking kicks that dude, that asshole – and he sinks him to the ground. Now, that's not Mr. Miyagi doing that. That's Daniel doing that. But I'll tell you what, Daniel couldn't have done it without Mr. Miyagi. And so if if I'm Daniel and Jesus is my Mr. Miyagi, I could bitch about how he asked me to, you know, paint, the, paint his fence and wax his cars and do this, that, and the other. But you know what? I wouldn't be where I am today yeah, without that formation. The value right. in that then is that you don't have to think to do right in a lot of instances. I mean, some instances, obviously, yes. But other instances, at least that's my big takeaway from my religious upbringing. It's like, like you're saying, some of this stuff, there's, there's an emotional muscle memory where it's just like, uh, I don't have to think about whether or not I should help that person or whatever it is. Like, I just do it because I just have been doing it my whole life because Jesus said to do it. And like, so even though it's not about Jesus for me anymore at all, it's just like, yeah, this, I don't have to like intellectualize uh, some simple things in terms of just like how to love people. Yeah. It just feels (laughs) right. It happens. Can't help it. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good way to say it. I, I use this metaphor from time to time about how, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to wake up every morning and be like, perhaps I should clothe myself. How would one clothe themselves to, to, to be free of the natural elements? No, no. Somebody made a t-shirt and somebody came up with sweatpants. Now, do I agree with t-shirt or sweatpants? It doesn't matter. I clothe myself with it yeah, because useful. it allows me to then get on with my day. And so – I could go in and like critique like, well, maybe we shouldn't wear T-shirts. Maybe we should actually wear wife beaters or V-necks or yeah. it's like – Robes would be much better. 
Or, yeah, that would be great. But sometimes, like, in this world of deconstruction that I've certainly gone through, and certainly you guys have gone through as well, I think I've come back to a place where I'm like, I don't need to be so entirely critical. Like, you got some good from it. A t-shirt is a great thing to have. And you know what? The, the, the Christian idea that every person is a child of God and therefore deserves some respect, I don't need to question that. I don't need to go in like dig through all the theology and like I'm like, you know, I'm actually okay with with that just being that just being a good idea. Yeah, it's just a tenant. We'll just we'll just put that one in as a pillar. Why not? We'll just we'll just throw it down as something that like that that's like, okay, because you could question everything about the world. Yeah. And this is this is why people go down the conspiracy theory rabbit holes. It's like because truth is always up for um it, it, it is is up for critique, and I think that's one part of me thinks that's wonderful. But part of me thinks that we do get a little bit, um, in our search for truth, we we give up some things that like are really just that they, they work. They're pragmatic. They're tactical. That's part of what I love about the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching was written as a manual on how to enact war appropriately now people don't want to think about it that way they want to think about it as a spiritual manual well it is a spiritual manual but like spirituality is no different than how we conduct ourselves in any other thing Mm -hmm. because it's all the same thing it's just called fucking human experience that's all there is that's literally all there is at some point you sort of do just gotta like yeah you can't sit in relativism forever and critiquing forever Mm. the example that i usually give is like you know, there's a lot of good scientific evidence for uh, and philosophical arguments for the non-existence of free will. Now, if sure. I choose to believe that, how does that serve my life at all to just to remove my agency completely? It doesn't. So even if the evidence was so strong that it was irrefutable and we knew for certain there is no free will, I'd be like, cool. I'm still telling myself that there is because I want to. F- I want to feel like I have agency. I don't care that it's not true. True. There's a there's a different true that I just need it to be for me because it serves a, a purpose in my life. Okay, so that's that's an interesting point that truth on its own. So this is kind of what I was saying earlier. Like data on its own is just data. Right. It's not until you put it into buckets that data. So, so like your friend who said that coronavirus is constructed. So he's looking at data and he's choosing a particular bucket, a particular narrative to hold that data. Now, I guarantee you that your friend will find many things that will suggest that it was created in a lab and actually is bioterrorism. I'm not even saying your friend is right or wrong. That's not what I'm interested about. Right. But what I'm saying is that data is out there. So, if you kind of think about truth, at least as far – I'm not talking about like truth like in the Bible. I'm saying like just like truth that animates something like the Bible or animates something like the Tao Te Ching. It's out there to be found, but what we do is that we we take parts of it and we put it into buckets and we call those narratives and 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 we could say that we call those narratives many people just call those reality because for them 
It is just how things are. It's sort of like a um, it, it's it would be ridiculous to to ask a question against it. So that's fine, and good because we have to be able to clothe ourselves with something every day. And so we have to be able to say that like there's some sort of truth that like governs my life. I think that's a it's a fundamental human thing. But there's still something underneath, and I I would dare say I believe it's in all of us that wants to know the truth behind the truth, like wants that gnosis, that direct encounter with God. So that is what, you know, we talked about psychedelics earlier. That's one of the things that psychedelics allows for is that it really does. I'm not saying it gives you this all the time, but it allows, because it's just a technology. It's, it's just a tool, but it allows for a seeing of things beyond your conditioning and your conditioning is is what forms your formulates your buckets that you put your data into to create your narratives and so i i don't i don't think about psychedelics as being some sort of panacea or silver bullet i don't think it necessarily is a cure but i do think that it operates as a a, a way of giving you access to something that you can't see in the consensus world that we all live in to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, kind of the basis of Richard Rohr's immortal diamond book is that we all have this immortal diamond in us, but it growing up, you're conditioned with all these things. So it becomes this whole stripping your, your like your life becomes stripping yourself of those things. Yeah. Just unlearning, unlearning all yeah. of those things mm -hmm. and just, uh, yeah, revealing what is true to you within, and yeah, it's that's that's yeah. why it's yeah. So, um, um, oh, go ahead. Well, go let ahead. me just say a little bit about this. So, I think unlearning is critical. I think unlearning might be when we think about the path forward. Uh, I think that unlearning might be more powerful than learning. That said. You guys are wearing a t-shirt and a sweatshirt and selvage denim jeans and some other form of pant, and you didn't come up with that. And to unlearn that would probably make you a fucking crazy person <laughs> right. who's wearing a robe in the street. So that's why I kind of go back to this tactical, pragmatic level that I think that in some ways, a lot of the spiritual teachers had that as an undercurrent that like, look, yes, yes, unlearn, but also still pan to Caesar what is Caesar's. Like, right. you don't I mean, have Alan to go Watts so says, far as like. Alan Watts says ahead. the mystic swims in the same waters that the, you know, schizophrenic drowns in. It, exactly. So it is. So what we talked about at the very beginning of this, like, should people be cautious about doing psychedelics? I believe, yes, as a person who leads people through psychedelic journeys, yes, you should be cautious because is, if yeah. you want to live a life that still like has nice cars and it can have a good conversation at a bullshit dinner, like you might not want that. It's not going to serve you in every way that you think 
because the ego is so powerful. The ego will, will adopt spirituality, will adopt psychedelics. Even the idea of ego destruction is a deeply ego-formed concept. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. That's why when people are like, oh, I want to do... I want to do seven grams of psilocybin and, and fucking just blast my ego. You know what I think? You you've got a very strong ego, and it's so gotten a hold of you that you want to blast through it. Right. Because the 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 real you, the conscious you, the observer, they don't want to blast the ego. They would want to observe the ego, right. perhaps even hold or, the ego, yes, so the ego guided a little bit better. So, but you can't exactly. just not have the ego. Because then exactly. guess what? This is what I was talking about earlier about still – you still got to toe the line. Like, right. You can't just go full on into – otherwise, I would literally just sit and stare at the ocean and not eat or drink anything until I died a week later. Like that's me without an ego because I don't care about being alive. I don't care about – you know. I'm just right. like, cool. I'll just sit in loving awareness until it turns into what I – you know? Like, yeah. You're just not even conscious anymore almost. Episode 32 with Olivia Ashton. Yeah, I'm curious what you're sort of like hearing you expand a little bit more on just like meditation and that relationship between, yeah, embodiment and being in the present moment and like how that all kind of comes together for you. Yeah, I think initially in my practice, I wanted out of, right. I didn't want to feel it. So I did think I was very much like sitting and meditating, but like, I loved it when I popped out and I was like up in the astral plane and I was like, I, yeah, out of my body and like so expanded that I, I wasn't here almost right? because that felt like freedom. And then as, and also cause I didn't then have to feel my feel, feel everything. Sure. And then as that felt safer somehow, I like in the past year it felt, feels like the practices like got come in, into the body through, um, yeah, it's really the, it, it feels like the key. Um, and now, and it was, yeah, it really did feel at first, like it was kind of like a neck up meditation was like from the neck up. Mm -hmm. And actually one of my teachers in, um, in one of the longer retreats, like called that out specifically and was like, this isn't, this isn't a mental practice. This is, you know, this is, we're meditating with our entire bodies. And I was so pissed at him in that moment. Cause I was like, like, I felt like he was asking me to do something that I was like came here to do the exact opposite of essentially. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for the past couple of years, it's like been sit. Yeah. It is sitting with the feelings. Just, I was just meditating before sitting down with you guys and like had a little bit of, um, like nerves in my stomach and just asked the nerves, like, what are you here to say? What are you here to show me? And they were like, I'm worried you're not going to know what to say. And I just sitting there, I was like, Oh, beautiful. Like that, that's an old, that's an old voice that I know mm -hmm. very well. She comes up often and to be able to sit with that feeling and be like, okay, I hear you. Like, we're just going to, we're going to do it anyways. Okay. And then, yeah. And sort of thanking them in a way for being like, I know you are just trying to you're protect trying to, me. Yeah, you're trying to make me safe in this yeah. situation. Sort of like an inner child situation where you're I at least that's how I view it for myself a lot when I'm like apprehensive about something I'm scared about something I'm like lashing out in a way I'm like what is that and it's like oh it's my it's something in my shadow and you what's behind the shadow is a scared child who was traumatized by something 
who is now trying to make sure that we don't relive that. And I can just acknowledge it and be like, thank you. I'm an adult and I don't need you to protect me. Like we're going to be, it's going to be fine. Totally. And with emotions specifically, it's like, I've been noticing that if they come through and have the time and the space to have a clear delivery and it's heard, then they just continue on. But if they don't have the time and space to deliver their message, then they swirl and they go in Mm. through the back door and then they like loop back around and they're like, you know, they'll do whatever they can to deliver it. It's like it needs to be comforted in a way and let like for you to know, like, I hear you and like, I will protect you. Totally. You don't need to protect me. Yeah. And then we just got to sit together and then I got to actually feel what does it feel like in my body to feel a little nervous? And like, oh, it's kind of nice. Actually, there's like some energy moving in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Like I feel alive. There's tingling in the hands and to like really sit in the embodied experience of nervousness without it having this like a negative positive or negative charge. Mm-hmm. I think that that's that's the beauty of yeah being practicing being embodied and also practicing deep listening episode 12 with luke neal i would say the only place i would i would say i've landed now is being okay with not knowing i think that's the most powerful place you can be and if you meditate without an expectation none of the ideas that we have of god are true because they're man-made i think the only place you can know the unknown is to be okay with being in the unknown yeah, yeah, man. That's where the magic oh, is. Yeah. The magic is, is in, uh, in the unknown. Yeah, I've started to think of God as not just the unknown, but the but God being more like a verb of being in the unknown or being or unknowing. Mm-hmm. Like and that's sort of like that's where you find the the divinity. Uh, um uh, I love that. Yeah, also cool that you just maintain like such a level head as far as being able to like have compassion and respect for you know the people in your family that you may have like have severed ties with because of all this because i could see where a lot of bitterness and resentment could build up from that and uh also yeah it's just cool to like get to hear some experiences and and in a non-bashing way too you know you said you're you're not like a bible basher and whatnot and i think that's um I don't know. Andrew and I, I think, want to be like respectful in what we're doing here. You know, like we want to point out some 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 nonsense and and some bogus shit, but like we're doing this to like pull what we can from from the Bible, from like this more mystical fucking <laughs> new agey <laughs> yeah. look at it, but also to you know just to hear about people's experiences and whatnot, and just kind of identify that you know there's shitty people in every group and like. Some people that practice religion are like really do get the message of just being this solid human being and being the salt of the earth and the quiet observer and letting everybody experience the journey on their own and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, man, talk to us about you. We, we asked you what you wanted to, uh, maybe touch upon here and you brought up, uh, specifically chapter 13, of Revelations, which is the yeah. uh, the final book in the old book. Thirteen ended up becoming my favorite number because, I, and I was actually named after Luke in the Old Testament, oh, or New God. Testament. I'm sorry. 
We got. No, it. you weren't. Yeah, the the doctor. Yeah, not Luke. In the, Old nah, Testament nah. Luke doesn't exist. No, you weren't. New <laughs> Testament Luke does. Hey, he's a descendant of Joseph Smith. Show him some respect. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad. Uh, I I love this because it's probably the most uh, cinematic uh, of all the books. But I, in truth, there's a lot of like deep. Mormon doctrine that ties into Revelation, and I loved it because I had an uncle named uh, Uncle Earl who passed away in 99, but he was like, he was my mom's youngest brother, super versed in all of the scripture, Bible to Book of Mormon to everything, and we had like the most rad conversations on our like uh, family reunion camp trips around a campfire. He was like very non-judgmental, talked so passionately about the church, but he did a really cool job of breaking down what he thought John the Revelator saw in the book of Revelations. And yeah, because there's some that. serious symbology and crazy numerology and like all kinds of stuff to dissect happening in yeah. Revelations with almost every verse. I mean, it's really, it's wild. Some layers. Wow. Yeah, as far as like content of what independent researchers and YouTubers and whoever else has put together, I would say theories and breakdown of revelation is second only to content for pornography. There is a (laughs) shit ton of it. Yeah, I bet. What's so interesting to me, going back to that Joseph Campbell quote, um, which was, "The, the myth is the public dream and the dream is the private myth. Um, there is a piece of me that reads this that is sort of like, hey, man, you're pushing your private myth into the public sphere. Like, this might have been your own, like, these symbols might have only been really pertinent to, like, you as a person. Right. Right? Because it was your personal vision, your dream. Um, and so, yeah, it was relating to, like, your life. Um, that was just, like, a stone thought that I had. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a Revelations good one. It's a, a good whole, one. Revelations no. as a whole is definitely a trip. And like I said, as as I was reading these first, uh, I decided to just read the first thirteen chapters so I had the full picture. And yeah, I was sitting there at some points, just being like, not you know, I'm not. There's nothing in here that I'm like scared about, but just the the imagery and the symbols and everything are like, they get pretty intense. They get pretty intense. I definitely uh, started to get a little uneasy. And there's been times in history where some of this has spoken more true than others. And every one of that time period has taken these symbols from Revelation and applied it to their time. And in that thought, like John the Revelator has been just as accurate as the writers of The Simpsons. Like you put enough content out, some of it's going to echo true with the future. Like how many times has South Park or The Simpsons predicted some shit that's now come to pass? Talk to us a little bit about why why chapter 13 just as a whole, um, like what is it about that chapter that, that you dig so much? I used to have nightmares about the imagery and the first couple um, verses there. Uh, I grew up with the King James Version, um, but it said, Yeah, and I stood upon the sands of the sea and saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon these ten uh, crowns and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. What the up that was the united nations to me i was taught by my father and other people in the church that that represented the the un 
that the ten what the fuck yeah that the ten horns were different leaders and then the crowns represented all the like UK Germany all yeah those, the ten you know, kings and shit the royalty on the yeah so we were taught a lot of that I mean. Growing up, my dad was a survivalist. I thought it was a normal thing for an eight-year-old to learn how to shoot a shotgun that year and also learn about nuclear fallout protection. So, sure. you know, it was a lot Dude. of that combined with this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of survivalist stuff uh, in Mormonism, right? Like, I also yeah. read this book called Educated. I don't know if you've heard of that by Tara Westover. Mm-mm. She grew up basically in a, um, like, totally off the grid in bumfuck Idaho. And her, they, this family did, they did everything. Like, the dad was a junker, just had a giant junkyard. And the mom did, like, herbal medicine stuff. Of course. Uh, and, the, and turned that into actually, like, a pretty successful business. And, like, the kids didn't go to school. The kids just helped with that shit. And they just sort of learned about, and so like this, it's the story of her getting out of the family and like ending up a road scholar and all this crazy stuff. But the the survivalist like family that she grows up in, and her dad being like so keen on the fact that it's just like the end times are now, and here's all the evidence for it, and this is why we're like stockpiling all this shit and like doing everything that we're doing is because like. What else would we be doing? Right. Uh, my, I learned one lesson. My, my dad passed away in 2013, and being a survivalist, I kind of thought, you know, kind of jokingly at his services, my siblings and I were all, like, looking at his guns and everything that day before we went and just all the supplies he'd accumulated. And we're joking, like, oh, he never got his zombie apocalypse. He never got his fallout. Sure. But then it hit me later, like, he lived so much of his life in fear, and that dictated so many of his hours. And whether he would replace that with a, a habit or whatever, like, he filled his time based on that fear of these ideas. Yeah. And when and every day that the world didn't end was a sad day for him. Because that's actually what he wanted, right? Yeah, I mean, that was—he was prepared to—I mean, I'm not joking. We had— 50-gallon barrel drums that were full of supplies buried it in locations out in the desert between our town and other towns. Like, we knew where like, we could go oh. hit supply runs, like, type stuff. Wow. Bro, your dad would have been so fucking hyped right now. He would have just oh. been like, you see? This is what we were preparing for. This is what's happening. You see what's happening out there? 100%. Hey, hey. Hundred <laughs> percent. All these years, you thought I was an asshole, burying this shit out in the desert, <laughs> collecting these guns for what? Yeah, you would have been giving some oh, big middle fingers right now to everyone, <laughs> just being like, "Boom!" I said, "I would have heard it right." Yeah, my mom. I talked to her when when this first started happening. She's like, "You know, this is exactly what he wanted." I can't believe he's not here to see this. Like my Aww. sweet mom. Like I was it like, is kind of heartbreaking. It is wild. Yeah. Episode 34 with Chris Spicer. So aside from, you know, having a lot of community within the church and your faith that way growing up before you get to college, do you feel like you have some sense of like a close relationship to God or is it just kind of more of your culture at that point? I was always talking about, we were, we were constantly talking about your relationship with God, um, your, uh, you know, uh, 
it is expected that you're doing devotionals. Um, you're reading the Bible every morning and maybe even have like a, uh, another book that goes along with it, a devotional book that has, you know, some, you know, thought for the day, some scripture goes along with it and how to unpack it and ask yourself questions and stuff. Maybe take notes, answer questions. It's like homework. <laughs> it's like, sure. Yeah. Did you, did you have that too, Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think part of what, um, really cracked things open for me in terms of experimenting like with mushrooms was I feel like I'd grown up my whole life knowing like this is what it looks like to have a relationship with God like this these are the things that you do to show that you have a relationship with God mm-hmm. but like no one ever talks about what does it feel like true and then I had my first like real God experience on a mushroom high and I was like oh this is what it feels like to be with God yeah. And not to say that these things that like religion is saying you should do don't help facilitate that because I think that in a lot of ways they do and that's why that's why they're in place. But um I think that it's been largely divorced from like and the reason that we do it is so that you can feel in relation to God and not just look in relation to God. And there's a lot of appearances involved. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And not even, yeah, not even, even just appearances within yourself of being like, well, I wake up every day and I, I read my devotionals, I read the Bible and I pray and like, I don't swear, I don't spit on the ground. I like, I'm a good person. And so therefore I am right with God. And right, it's but, like, but then you're like, but where's the reward? If I right. did all these things and I don't necessarily feel you know, phenomenally different because exactly. I spent, you know, I did the work that was exactly. laid out, but so. I, I had a, a similar mushroom experience as well. Um, actually feeling interconnectedness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that like relationship to God is, yeah, the connectedness of all things. Mm-hmm. So it's being connected to everything and this like sort of woo woo notion of we're all one becoming hyper, hyper real and like, deeply in focus in those moments it's like can be very very profound um and yeah it just sort of reframes things yeah 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 my my experience only came a couple of years ago so that was more of kind of like a uh, almost like a it was a, an amazing experience but like a confirmation as well of kind of a, the, the direction that we, i've already gone i had already moved in so yeah i i'm glad that i waited as long as i did to do the heavy psychedelics because it wasn't until i was like 30 years old yeah exactly and i mean that's the i that is the that first mushroom experience is the thing that probably brought me closer to my spirituality than anything Mm -hmm. else had ever you know like i started i don't know things started to really click in after that i was just like yeah why not believe like there's so much that that is here that we can't see so right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So for you though, and back to like this relationship with God concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. How does that start to get reframed for you, or what starts getting called into question as you, maybe you're in college or you're out of college? Like, how do things start to shift? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like we were saying before, I, <clears throat> you know, like with your question, Dan, too, about the relationship that I, did I, is that something I felt like I had or just did? I think it was something that I, I, that that was a very, obviously a big part of the guilt. Um, and I tried really hard to have this relationship. Um, but I, I felt like such a failure because I 
felt like it was just the hardest thing. I felt like it, it felt against my nature. Um, it was so difficult to do these things I was supposed to do. And I, I just wanted to like hang out with my friends and, and, you know, like watch movies and read good books and, and play music. And that felt, that felt in my nature. That felt like I was in my skin when I would do those things. Um, <clears throat> and so then I think that <laughs> I had kind of a funny moment when I was in college where I think there was a part of me where I was like, okay, maybe college, maybe going to a Christian university will be like the thing. Maybe that will be this thing I've been missing, this thing that I can't necess- necessarily grasp or maybe the thing I don't understand. Maybe there's just a part of it I don't quite get that maybe going to this next level of Christianity will help me understand. <clears throat> and I remember I was in, um, oh, what was the name of the class? I think it was like pff, intro to biblical studies or something mm-hmm. freshman year. Uh, and I remember one time going to my professor's office hours and sitting down, just like my head in my hands. And I was like, oh, prof, I don't know what, you, what to tell you. I'm, I'm having a really hard time. I just feel like I'm trying really, really, really hard to like be a really, really great Christian. Uh, but like every, it seems like no one else is really trying as hard as I am. And like, aren't we all Christians? Isn't this all a Christian university? I thought we'd all like be on the same page. We'd all be like, kind of like working together communally to create this amazing Christian atmosphere. Right. One giant Jesus bear hug. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, ascending together to the heavens, you know, (laughs) like making the rapture happen. (laughs) But, um, I think that, and I was like in tears because I think that like, that was a moment for me where, where I was like, this, this maybe is the culmination of all those thoughts that I was having throughout high school and youth group and stuff. And I think he said something like, oh, you know, everybody's on their own journey and you got to give them time and you just kind of do, you got to do your, what you can do for yourself. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And, but then I kind of, basically what I took from that where it was like, I can't control what other people are doing. I can't control their relationship. So I guess I'm on it. I'm in this myself. And then I think I dealt with for the next few years and post-college for a couple of years as well. Um, dealt with kind of really allowing myself to think about uh, what I believed and, and how it all made sense to me, which was new at the time because mostly it was like, well, how do I put into practice what my youth pastor believes or what my pastor believes what my parents believe um it was kind of like trying to take that package and fit it into my life and then after that switch it was kind of like well how do i how do i build my own faith and uh it never really happened (laughs) (laughs) were you able to find other people at the university that were kind of experiencing the same thing and create some some community within those people yeah um yeah and i feel like even some professors too um, which is not okay by, by the university standards. Um, you, this university particularly, you had to sign a lifestyle contract, which said, I am a professed Christian, but also I will not drink, you know, have sex, do drugs, uh, all sorts of stuff. It's an interesting 
It's an interesting yeah. thing because that then, stuff's obviously going on. Oh, it's obviously it's going just on. Being, yeah, and you know, and the professors are are also barred from discussing the mysteries of life with students. Right, or right. So what? that's so that that that's interesting because you'd have professors that would like hint at certain things, and I was um, I was in film and. Um, writing, um, professional writing. As um, I did film for a couple of years, I did writing for a couple of years and communication type stuff. So I took a lot of writing courses, and in some of those English classes, man, we did not talk very much about religion, but we talked a lot about literature and, and prose and and what makes words beautiful and um, what how how do you find the beautiful things in life and talk about those things, um, and so it wasn't. <clears throat> necessarily anti-christian but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like centered in like all around jesus either and i would say you know those those people are probably church-going christians they probably you know go to church but i think that there was more going on than just the uh, uh retelling of some or regurgitating of some line you know um but yeah i, I found other people as well that um Lots of, you know, you know how college is, lots of deep conversations late at night about what means what and what's going to happen. And yeah. Are you like talking to your parents or family members about any of this stuff that you're kind of experiencing maybe this crisis of faith a little bit? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, yeah. My parents are, are great people. Um, but I never felt like uh, uh, comfortable um, that that's something that we could uh, chat about. Um, and some of that stems from I, I didn't want to let them down. Yeah, we've had a lot of people kind of bring that up um, that have come on as guests or even perspective guests of just being like, yeah, I think what you're doing is cool, but I don't know if I'm ready to say these things on a recording yeah. because, you know, I've just got a lot of family ties to that, which is totally understandable. I think uh, our our friend Jacob, who um, was a, a Mormon for a long time, mm -hmm. kind of framed it best when he was like, yo, how do I, you know, how do I honor my parents and in what they believe is the greatest gift that they're trying to give me is yeah. like this religion and this, this spirituality and this connection with God, but also, you know, have my own journey and my own faith. Yeah. Um, it's possible that my parents might listen to this and it would be very eye opening for them. Um, I've never really had this, the things I'm saying they would not know. Um, and uh, I might ask them not to listen to it, but if they want to, I'd say, let's talk about it. Um, because, and my thing is like, if they listen to it, that's okay too, because I feel very confident in the life I'm living and I'm very happy. Um, and I have an amazing family and I'm very connected to uh, my community and I feel like at peace and like in a really great place. Yeah, man. I mean, you... I would consider you to be one of my first Portland friends, someone that I connected with, you and Jen. Um, and I don't know, you're definitely somebody that like represents those core teachings to me of like, of Jesus, you know, the kindness and just, you know, willingness to participate and be supportive of the community. So it's not like you're far from these things that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And man, I, I definitely 
like reverberate with that. I, I want to be that. I, I'm not throwing everything away because I know that there is a lot of goodness in Jesus teachings, um, that obviously have informed my life. I grew up with that and I know that they've played a big part in who I am. Um, I had some very strange church experiences, um, and maybe came to realize that I think the church tries to maybe tries a little bit too hard to, um, make a, like a set experience around these things that we should instead just be living out. Yeah. There's some heavy indoctrination for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it does get, it's confusing when you're even going back to your example of like, you know, being in high school and being like, I feel most like myself when I'm hanging out with my friends, which is just like being in, in relation to others, like in a deep way, when I'm playing music, which is its own relational thing. And God is found in all of those things. Right. Yeah. Like that, those were your God experiences that church was telling you like, no, (laughs) that's not where you, and it's like, no, fuck that. That is where you were. That was where you were meant to find God. And you just needed someone and some authority to be like, yep. You know, if that's what feels right, then you're on the right path. Like, you know, best, um, because you're the only one who's experiencing you. So yeah, yeah. The church, you know, like a lot of things like our education system, anything that gets like, where we try to have like a, a a template for the masses, like it's going to fail because we're just too complex as individuals for that to work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to have control over this thing. That's supposed to be a personal journey. Yeah. Which is how do you let people go on a personal journey though? If you have these supposed uh, like specific rules that everyone's supposed to follow. Yeah. I mean, and I get it too. You're, you know, you're trying to raise kids and shield them from some things in the world and hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe not lead them down paths that get them into serious trouble or, or, you I know, just think that there's damage this them. hilarious right. catch 22 of like the intense indoctrination a lot of times leads to, you know, a backlash the other way. I mean, there's the sort of trope of the pastor's kid that's just going to be like, fuck you, two middle fingers in the air, <laughs> joints out of every orifice, um, like at age 14. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like, if you tell, a, if you let someone have their own journey, like, I think they're more naturally inclined to like, find like, um... Yeah, some sort of peace within themselves naturally, because yeah. I think that's sort of just the way that human nature leans, you know, barring psychopaths and stuff like that. Well, I think that maybe that's why I was in the church for as long as I was, because my parents were very supportive um, without a whole lot of rules. Um, I, you know, I had some rules and some of those base, you know, stemmed out of uh, the church. Um, but like I said, I didn't have a curfew um, and I had a car I could drive around and. Um, I had these things that that I just had trust from my parents. They also like heavily supported, uh, my brother and I and in, in music, um, like came to every single one of our concerts, like bought us music lessons, bought us equipment, like really pushed us in, in like creative endeavors a lot. Um, and I got to do, I got to play the drums a ton in church too. Um, and so these things like their support and, um, being able to play music, um, basically, uh, were I think really uh, like important for I guess as long as 
I was in the church. Um, if I didn't have those things, it, I probably would have ended sooner. Like I, I had a, a, a friend, um, or my, my brother's close friend was in a, one of the worship groups when he was in high school and he played bass. And one time it was like a Sunday night service. Uh, it was like a, a youth band was playing and he wore red socks, uh, for, I don't know, he was just wearing red socks that day. And, uh, he got a comment card, uh, that was like put in the, the tithes and offerings that the pastor then found and brought to him later from one of the kids in the youth group. No, no, no. This was, so it was a, it was a youth group band, but they were like for the main service for the main service. Got it. Okay. And so it was, you know, some, some elderly, uh, congregation member put a note, sent a note in and said, I can't believe that he wore red socks on stage. And then he, (laughs) he he didn't come back. He didn't come back to church. Yeah. The devil's color. Yeah. That's all it took. Well, I, I don't think that I was mean, all. I think I there mean, were yeah, many other not things. To say, not to say that, like, that person was, was fragile in any way, like, mentally, but uh, I, the church does that a lot to people where it's just, like, you you push, essentially push your own away with, like, this petty bullshit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To something that does not interfere with your relationship with right. Christ or the yeah. thing, you know? I that, mean, yeah. I've told this story before, but I got... So after my freshman year of college, I was like, there was this worship band that was going to go like do a tour of like summer camps or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the amount of rehearsals for this was insane because, you know, we were going to do, I can't remember, like, like three summer camps in a row or something. And um yeah, it was a ton of time, and the pay was bullshit. It was like twelve hundred bucks or something. So I was basically making like four hundred bucks a week. I was making like three dollars an hour for the amount of work that I was doing. But for a college kid, you're like twelve hundred bucks is everything. I could buy, you know, a new guitar and amp or whatever. Um, but yeah, I got kicked off on the last night of tour because me and the bass player got caught smoking a joint, and we actually didn't get caught in the act. We got caught like after we came back inside the like. Uh, worship leader was like who l- had to let us in because we were staying at a Christian college like in their dorms or whatever and we got locked out <laughs> um, so he had to let us in and he basically was just like yeah I'm not an idiot like I can smell weed on you and the bass player sort of looked at me like don't say anything and I just was like yep like we <laughs> did that and that was not the move apparently you know they kicked us off the next morning like he was like yeah pack up your bags and go and I had to drive myself like from Omaha to Denver by myself with all my shit. But I remember like that morning, like really like looking at him and being like, you know, yeah, like I'm, I'm spiritually maybe a little bit lost or confused right now. Like a lot of people after their first year of college, I, you know, I didn't go to a Christian university, but I was like, you know, I really want, like, I still feel like I'm was trying to do a good thing here. It's not like I was stoned on stage Like, you know, I understand that we broke a contract, but I just feel like I'm being treated sort of subhuman for something that was like pretty harmless. Right. And but then also was sort of like, you know, I haven't really had an opportunity to talk to anybody about sort of like what I've been going through. And he was basically just like, I don't want to hear it. And also you were honest about it. Like you didn't you didn't lie. Right. Right. Which is rare for me. Um, (laughs) But Honestly, yeah, that should be valued. Yeah. So. Um, 
I don't know, man. That was a moment. That was a make or break moment for me that I think I would have ended up leaving the church, you know, eventually anyways. And that wasn't the moment that I was like, I'm not a Christian anymore. But it was a huge crack in my confidence of that community because this was someone who I had, you know, shared the stage with as him as the worship leader and me as like the lead guitarist for, you know, three or four years. And it's just like we've spent so much time with each other. Like, you know me. Like, you know my heart, you know, you know, I'm in the right place. You know that, like, I'm doing this because I want to, like, create that experience for other people for a way for them to connect to God. And that's why I'm here. Right. That's why I'm doing this on my summer break. Right. Like, yeah, I want the money, too. But, like, ultimately, it's not enough money to justify, like, all this travel and whatnot. So you're just going to toss all of that aside because I smoked a fucking joint. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> It yeah. would have been the same way at, at my school. I uh, I did three years of those summer travel groups where we'd go to camps. I did I did a music one one year, and we played four summer camps and 40 churches uh, in one summer, and it was intense uh, all over the Northwest. I mean, we went all the way to, like, Wyoming and Colorado and Montana, but um, all throughout Oregon and Washington and was that ever yeah. hard for you when you were participating heavy in that and kind of having your own kind of crisis of faith or questioning things? <clears throat> I think that um, that was kind of this, there was this movement, this like birth of like progressive Christianity, like Rob Bell and Hillsong. And there were these like things that started coming out and that were like closer to cool close like they were still christian and they were still uh talking about faith but they were like you you could do that and like or like imago day church in portland you know or like uh what's his name don don miller donald miller the he was a portland author that wrote blue like jazz like wrote about going to read and being a christian at read um there were these things that in progressive christianity that that i was also reading and grappling with and being like well okay well maybe maybe these thoughts, this, this faith crisis that I, that I feel like I'm having, maybe it's not actually me moving away from, uh, the church or from faith, but maybe it's me, uh, becoming a progressive Christian. Yeah. Redefining it. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I mean, maybe I was that for a while, but I think that really what it was, was a journey away from guilt and fear towards embracing this idea of like, like we talked about the interconnectedness and, um, love for all and, and like life, living a life for goodness and, and sure. humanity. Episode 36 with Sam Rocha. Sam, I want to circle back to something you talked about in the beginning of this conversation. And I know that, um, being a musician is a big part of who you Huge. are. And at the beginning of the conversation, you said, even from a young boy, you know, you can find scripture in one hand, guitar in another, mm. And you, you talked about moving around a lot. Um, I'm curious how important that guitar was as sort of like a constant and an anchor to you while you were moving around so much and maybe not being able to uh, form like any super in-depth friendships with kids since you were moving around so much. Yeah, I mean, I've got it always at arm's length, you know, like I, I just, <laughs> yeah, there for those is. listening, you know, I've, I've, I've got a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've got nine over here to my left, you know, <laughs> just. Uh, yeah, and a Blues Junior on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's not a Blues Junior. That's a champ. That's a tweed champ. Oh, it's a champ. Yeah, it's a 57 rear nice. shoe uh, Fender champ. 
Um, yeah, no, the guitar is huge for me and it's insightful of you to see the fact that like, because we move so much, um, my kids ask me one of those questions that kind of blows your mind, but they don't know it when they ask like, who is your first friend? I was like, Oh, they just, you know, crushed me uh, because, you know, I didn't really have the stability for friends until probably middle school and high school. And even then, you know, I live a long way from home right now. And so, you know, friendships in that sense have been hard. So uh, hopefully one can substitute for those things in one's life. And um, I would say Catholicism has been that for me. I always joke around how like I have no idea where I should be buried but I know exactly what kind of funeral I should have. So it's kind of like, I don't know where I belong geographically, even sometimes ethnically. I'm like a Mexican American living in Canada. Like it's super confusing. Um, but my, my, my faith, I know what the ritual is. I, I've, I've, you know, and, and the guitar has been, I would say as constant as scripture, as tradition, as the church has been for me. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, like um, for, for me at least, a lot of the philosophy I work with or a lot of my claims as a philosopher are really – you could read them as me trying to make sense of my practice as, as a recording artist, as a musician, as a guitar player. So like one of my main claims in, in, in my work is uh, this simple three-word sentence, kind of aphoristic, but it says, art precedes metaphysics. So traditionally, philosophy says we start with first things, and first things is are the question of being. Do things exist or not? Why do they exist? Is there something instead of nothing? That's metaphysics, right? Those are the kind of our first questions. Mm -hmm. And my, my, my intuition has always been to say, no, before the firstness of metaphysics, there is this impulse towards it that art shows and that art kind of brings and even anthropologically before plato and aristotle and the great pre-socratics and the great thinkers and wisdom traditions before gilgamesh you have the relation of the hand to the rock or to the stick or to, 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 to poesis called making in greek just to make to me that poetic impulse to make is, is what art is and my claim in my work as a philosopher is to argue for a priority of art over, in a sense of being prior to metaphysics. And this might sound like super theoretical, but in my own life, it's biographical. Before I was really able to appreciate letters and reading and books and study and stuff, you know, I started hacking away at my guitar when I was five. You know, and so I, oh, and the other thing is I've never, cause I moved and we were also poor. So I never had money for lessons. So I was always just kind of picking up stuff in church and just practicing and being really bad. Like I was way bad. I, I'm, I'm, I've been playing now for 30, 33 years. And I sound like a really good 25 year old guitarist. <laughs> like I do not, I like, I, 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 when I see some of these cats out there who are just, you know, coming out of Berkeley and UNT and, and just, you know, unbelievable. Um, it's inspiring and it's great, but I know that my road has been really long and really slow. Um, but I have a kind of, um, a series of intuitions 
in my fingers and in my flesh in relation to, to the wood and metal of these sure. that I, that is not really intellectual. And it's super cool to be an untrained, uh, uh, illiterate musician on the one hand and to be an academic philosopher on the other hand and to yeah. be like an academic by day and a blind musician by night, you know, what I'm going to come back to again, and you, you might hate how repetitive this is, is that to me, uh, what I, I came up through like having that, that core of Mexican music that I think just bleeds out of everything I play. It just kind of, everything kind of sounds a little bit Mexican. Um, and then I had the contemporary Christian music, the kind of more Anglo folky singer songwriter strum, uh, thing, to cowboy chords and that kind of a thing, you know, the open E progression, that kind of stuff. But then in college, uh, but then I started playing in bars and started realizing that so many covers of, of American pop. And I was one of those kids who never played or listened to secular music till I was like 17. So coming into the American songbook and top 40 music at 17 and trying to catch up fast, I quickly realized that like the blues was a must uh, thing. And I love the blues because it was pretty good for an uneducated person. You just, you know, I, I, I intuitively knew one, four yeah. and five and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all that to say that I eventually found myself playing in a neo soul, uh, new jazz band called Groovement. And we were primarily playing uh, jazz kind of supper clubs and then the, the Chitlin Circuit on the east side of Columbus, uh, black side of town in, in Dayton and other places. And playing neo soul, Erica Badu, Jill Scott, D'Angelo, Tank, Dwelle, oh, yeah. you know, um, Sade, you know, that's about as mainstream as we got was like Sade, uh, smooth operator or something. Well, that, that forced me to not only learn jazz, not only become a hip hop head and really pay attention to that kind of, um, dragged out behind the one feel of a kind of Jay Dilla DJ, that Jay yeah, that, Dilla, day, that Dilla groove. Right. And so like, you know, and then that, that, but that huge backbeat, you know, that you get from, from, from everyone from Amir to Steve Jordan's work at John Mayer, but that kind of signature, right? And so for me, like that was a real moment because all of a sudden my Mexican sensibilities, some of my Latin claves sitting over that hard African one with that Dilla backbeat, like there was just a lot of sauce to get into. But the thing that I came out with more than all the kind of syncopation and rhythmic stuff was soul. Like I learned that when I was myself as a Mexican playing in a black club to, uh, let's say, um, flow a trees, you know, just say yes or something like that, that if I was just mm -hmm. honest and really allowed myself to be a little bit vulnerable as a guitar player and really bear my soul a little bit and, and, and put myself out there the the return on that investment was so incredible and then i started playing a little bit of the black church and, and i started to in some sense rediscover pentecostalism but through this sense of soul and soul music but also a, a, an idea of how to express your heart and how to share yourself with other people and i think it infected everything i do to my teaching to my rhetoric to all these kinds of things episode 21 dan's mom how yeah. else do you feel like your your like spirituality has evolved over time or like changed or it, do you feel like it's always kind of changing? I think the biggest thing is not only acceptance because I have to tell you being raised Catholic, I really did struggle with 
the whole gay thing. And I remember just being like, why are you teaching us this is wrong? And science is teaching us people are born like this. So I really had a hard time with that. And I did have a hard time with some of the rules. So just in the fact that I'm in the place now where none of this, I don't have to figure any of this out. That's, that's all, all I need to do is act on my conscience and what's in my heart. Hell yeah. I think that's great. And that's, and that's really cool because that takes a lot of burdens off. And it also, to me, like when you're reading the Bible, it just gets down, back down to basics. Yeah, it simplifies things Jesus? a little bit. Jesus, yeah, Jesus was just like, come on, people. Let's let's forget about all this rural shit. Just love each other. For just sure. Just be cool. Well, and you're not all supposed to be running around judging each other. That's not your job. Yeah, that's definitely not the I point. Don't even know, I don't even know, to be honest with you, that that's – that that we have a God that is like that. I'm judging you for everything you do. No, probably. And and if so, certainly not in the way that we would not in our human judgment sense, I will say the Catholic church, I feel like something that I learned about the Catholic church growing up Christian, but not Catholic that I came to realize later was that the Catholic church actually has a long history of adapting to new ideas. And I know that it's still, you know, behind in some ways, forward in others. But like, even just the whole scientific revolution, I mean, if you look at, I don't think that the Pope would say that the earth is 6,000 years old, or 7,000 years old. No, No, because the Catholic Church eventually had to realize, like, we have to accept science. Like, we have to accept it as and and try to find a way for science and god to coexist um whereas like uh american sort of like evangelical christianity has almost gone the other way and just been like let's just all be a bunch of fucking dipshits who believe in the literal (laughs) bible only whereas the catholic church there's more room for like that's you know that's a metaphor for something that's a symbol for something you know that didn't actually happen. It's a story that's important that teaches us about humanity and, and what it means to be in relation to God. And I feel like, yeah, there's a there's certainly a sect of Christianity in America where it's just like, I don't even know what the fuck they're on, but it's not good. Cause, right. Because those folks are never going to exactly. come to this understanding that you have of just like, hey, I can just have my own sort of like personal and I can just sort of follow well, my follow my gut and heart because that's a part of a part of Christ and a part of God too. So. Well, also I would say another big growth for me, Dan has been that I was so worried when I got to Florida and I couldn't find a church that fit me. And I was like, Oh, but I mean, and that was part of going back a little, probably having the parents in my head, you didn't go to church. That's so bad. And just learning that that's okay right now for me personally, it's okay right now. That doesn't mean that I don't have a relationship with Jesus. That doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian. That doesn't define me. Yeah. 
I think. But but honestly, I would like to have a place to go to because I think that um, community is important. Right, but I think that's that's sort of the whole point, right? Is that the church isn't the building. The church is the community. It's not. The church is the community. It's the connections with people. And so like, yeah, the building helps facilitate that. But uh, it's important to remember that like, yeah, that's not the, that's not the point. Showing up to the building is not the point. If you want to be a a member of the church, then just be a part of the community. Right. And also another thing to say for that. That's super important. How many people have completely lost their way or lost their faith because they put everything into the building? And then when the pastor screws up or, or a whole large group of the congregation screws up, they're like, they're lost. They're like, what the heck? Right, right. So does, how much of my story does Andrew know? Uh, I don't know, not much, but you know. We can just okay. say, like, so, in a in broad terms, yeah, you've so, dealt with like mental so, health issues yeah. your entire life. So, yeah, you so can share what really, you'd like to. Yeah. So, really quickly, um, I have a pretty what in medical terms they would say it's severe panic disorder. So, and every once in a while, still Dan, my hero, will get a call. Uh, an odd hour and I'll be just like, I need you. I need you to kind of just talk me through this. I've had panic disorder since, um, ironically before he was born, I was pregnant when it started. Oh, this little anxious ball of, uh, (laughs) of of fire over here. Just, just put it right into you. Wow. No, unfortunately, unfortunately I feel so bad that I passed that gene on. So, and along with that, there's been, um, some depression. So, um, well, not some a lot, right, Dan? Anyways, um, I have to tell you, I feel really, really, like you said, Dan, when I feel really close to God, I'm like, okay, I got this. Or God's got this. Let me sure. put it that way. Um, and I feel like I understand this. There's a reason. And not that God is trying to punish him punish me but there is a reason and as a result of that there's a lot of people that I've helped walk through the same thing so um but bottom line no matter how bad it's been I do have to tell you and this is my this is my testimony and I don't know if I've even ever told you this Dan I wouldn't be here today for me personally, I would not be here today if I did not have God in my life. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned um, that you, you're sorry that you passed that gene down to Dan, because I know that Dan has had had some uh, panic attacks of his own from time to time. And that's something I struggle with anxiety as well. Um, but I think that I can't remember who said this quote. Uh, it may or may not be a real person. It could be from like a... Uh, could be a comic book character for all I know, but it's something along the lines of like, it's no measure of wellness to be uh, like well-adjusted to a sick society, you know? And so there's this, 
there's this environmental component to it as well where you know when it comes to depression and anxiety i mean the our world is is crazy and has been for a long time it's not like it was all flowers and rainbows when you were a kid i'm sure there was tons of yeah i mean you mentioned even at 15 people being like the end is nigh and so um right but i think going back to what you just said i wanted to say that just to build out some context for like you know but like a, a relationship with God sort of stands outside of all of those things, you know? So it is this, right. in this way, it's this rock or this pillar that's, it's not tied to society in that same way. Cause it's so much bigger than this right. human made thing. And I think that's something that like, you know, like a, uh, like a heavy mushroom dose, like really helps you see that like, Oh, all of this like crazy societal stuff is really just like a made up thing that we've all agreed upon. And it feels really real a lot of the time, but it's not. And then what's actually real is, you know, like community and love for people and the connections that you have with everything around you um, and, and those that you care about and those that you don't, too. So, like, yeah, I don't know. It just it is a transcendent thing that is uh, transcends all of uh, the sickness of our, our society and the sickness of our body and mind or whatever. What would you say are some like things that help you feel like you are connected to God or like things that are maybe your, your positive reinforcements or things that you kind of have to like do on a, on a daily or even like a weekly basis to feel Um, like that. Silence listening listening for that voice in the silence and i i i do hear i i do believe i hear that voice and it's very common but i have to be silent i have to listen and also another thing that really helps me is um praying for other people that I know are struggling with the same things to take the focus off myself and put it on other people and, and asking God to, to intervene and help other people. Do you want to close out by telling us what it means to you to be a Catholic? Sure. But can we close it in a little different way? Because I'm not sure that it's, (laughs) no, I'm not sure it's just Catholic. I'm not sure yeah. for me. It's, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. We can just say However, as a, a follower of Jesus. What, yeah. What it means to me to to follow Jesus is to to do my best every day to give compassion and understanding and love, and especially to people that I do not understand and I do not know. Amen. A. Amen. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Having said that, that doesn't mean that I do that every day because I'm a person and I fail too. Sure. But it's the striving. It's the striving that matters. And yeah, amen to that as well. Yeah. And especially for what's going on today, I also just want to leave the listeners with, 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 um, Damn, she's running this when shit. I can find it. Yeah, she just flipped the script on <laughs> you, yeah. boy. No, I'm not. No, I'm not trying to run your thing. No, I I like it. I would appreciate it okay. if somebody ran it. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want to leave everybody just today with, and this doesn't have to be Jesus. It can be anything. But if we could just do this, if every single one of us could just do this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And man, if everybody, if every single one of us could be out on the street today just loving each other. Amen. Yeah. I doubt we'd be talking about all this horrible other stuff. Oh, we but certainly wouldn't is, have police murdering innocent people no, in the we streets. Wouldn't. We wouldn't. We wouldn't because of those police before they got in their car. Right. So, like, like, we got to love people. Hey, we're out here to love each other and help each other. Yeah. And that's what there's, to me, that's what they were supposed to be doing. That's what they re- represented to me as a child. Right. Those people were supposed to be protecting me, loving me. Nah. So Jesus said that part's a lie. Jesus said, fuck authority. He said that that's not, they're not, that's not what they're doing. So that's, that's what we're on now. That's our tip now. He did. (laughs) You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. No, you're nobody. No, you're right. Because nobody has the authority. I don't have the authority to judge you. You don't have the authority to judge me. So everybody just lay the fuck off each other. (laughs) Hell yeah. Mic drop. Boom. Um, <laughs> no, all right, mom. Seriously. No, that, that was great. Seriously. I'm serious too. That's I'm, fantastic. And everybody just, God, take a break and just love each other. Just do something, one kind thing for each other tomorrow, please. God damn it. <laughs> all right. Well, you that's, heard a, it, that's, a, that's a challenge to you, listeners. Uh, well, we're really excited that you came on. Um, you're the first woman to come on the podcast so that's cool thank you for sharing all of that you shared and thanks for being rad take care bye mom bye lay the fuck off dude that's it that's the that's the 2020 mantra and i'm and i'm moving it into 2021 as well (laughs) it just gets carried through so uh yeah 2020 uh really you know Hard, hard to see you go. Not really. <laughs> um, yeah. Looking forward to this next year. Hopefully we can do some more of these in person. We only did like three, four of these in person. Three. Yeah. I think maybe three or four. Like we did the the one with Max 91, Danny. Um, yeah. And then the one with uh, Liv. Oh, yeah. In and person. Then- Chris and then your grandma. Chris and my grandma. Yeah. So, yeah, it will be nice, hopefully, in the future when we can do more of these in person. Obviously, it's 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 not going to be in person with the, the people that are, aren't in the same state. Like, we did talk to a fair share of people that aren't in our region either. True. So. It's very true. Um, but, yeah, man, that was that's kind of like the Bible Buds lens for 2020. Those were some moments from the cast and I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can, uh, keep up with that. I'm also working on finishing a little Bible buds, uh, Spotify playlist. So Sweet. I'm going to open that up to you so you can also add some <clears throat> things in there. But if people want to check out some tunes, not necessarily, I didn't, I, it's not like a worship playlist. It's not like some, a bunch of secular <laughs> Christian music that would, uh, maybe I'll make a separate one for that but uh you know i'll make that one 
Yeah, you uh, should definitely put that. Put that. I'll one do the. Together. I'll do the worship one for sure. Uh, sweet. And yeah, if anybody, uh, if any listeners really liked any of these chats and you want us to have a guest come back on in 2021, then shoot us an email. Let us know. Yeah, and or just send us an email in general. Like, in general. just send an email about anything. It can be a test. It could be a joke, a riddle. It could be a link to a Harry Potter quiz. Like anything you want. Yeah. Or if you're just uh, you're listening to the show and you feel like you have uh, some interesting things to add, you know, come feel on. Free to uh, you know, yeah. hit us up. Hit us up. Be a guest. The be links guest. will be there. The links will be there. We appreciate you listening. Um, Want to play it out with a jam from a band called Young Jesus called Patterns of Doubts on their new record. Uh, welcome to Conceptual Beach, which is incredible band. Um, great album. Yeah, great album. And uh, everybody out there, you know, hope you're, hope you're doing all right, hanging tough through these strange times. I hope this fucking goofy podcast has been you know something you can escape into every once in a while and tune out all the the madness going on and smoke pray love and go and you just keep blessing up you bless up Stitch it back